Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Also sponsored by Hector Flores with Modern Woodmen of America, a fraternal financial organization. Hector can help you plan for your family's future. Very easy to get a hold of him. He's a local guy, so give him a call at 940-453-3490. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. And this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 194, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. As we are trying to find ways to be, we've got a lot of Cowboys conversation to get into now about 48 hours after the aftermath, at least as we record this. And we'll have Todd Archer, ESPN's Cowboys insider, get his thoughts on the game and some of the things, kind of go back through that a little bit. Hopefully it won't be too painful. I will admit, at least, before we tell you about a couple of our sponsors, Sunday was obviously very difficult doing the podcast. Yesterday, you still have a little bit of that bum feeling. Today, it's better, and it'll get better, and then you go about it because we're so used to how to recover from these things because this is what the Cowboys do. This is not a new feeling. It just is. It's still one of those unfortunate things, though, because... You'd like to get excited for a playoff game this weekend. <laughs> You'd like to, bro. Uh, but it ain't happening. We live in a, a world where we, we we got to deal in reality, not what we wish and hope reality would be. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's deflating, I think, is, is, is for the fan base because this was a really talented team. They really teased you with the 6-1 and one explosive start. Uh, they had m- just – you know, tons of opportunities to make it happen at the end of the year and just pissed them all away, man. And so, you know, I used to say this all the time, Matt. Whatever you said about Rick Carlisle and the Mavericks, for the most part, at the end of the season, you always felt like the Mavericks had given you whatever they had to give you, whether it was the first round, second round, third round, you know, conference finals, playoffs. Whenever their season ended, you pretty much like, well, Carlisle pretty much got all he could out of this team. And, you know, they weren't good enough to do this or they were good enough to do that, and so they did it. Dude, these Cowboys, man, rarely give you the feeling like they maximized whatever they had, and it was, okay, it's time, you know, it's time for the end of the road in the NFC Championship game. Or it's time for the end of the road in the Super Bowl because that team is really just one for the ages and they're better than you. Um, But you always seem like, how did they screw this up? 
how did they not realize their potential? Where did this go wrong? And to me, this is just another season like that, man. And it's even more frustrating because of the uh, the opportunities that were missed, which I got to ask you, man. They should have told us something. Instead, I think we we tried to, and I, and I, I tried not to do this, but I think I did. You end up making excuses for their failures instead of really believing that their failures are there for a reason. That is true. That is very true. I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, we're going to get into all that. We do have a lot to cover here on this version. But let's tell you about Hector Flores, our friend with Modern Woodman of America. Sometimes figuring out how to do different things with your finances can be really difficult. It's hard to start. It can be hard to know where to start. Hard to know exactly how to start saving, but that is where somebody like Hector comes into play. And because it's a fraternal financial organization, it's non-fee based. It costs absolutely nothing to meet with Hector. And he can do a lot of different things for you, including, as he tells you here in his own words, something like this. One of the primary things that we do is, you know, we help people with established accounts. So, for example, like say if you guys have a 401k wherever you're currently employed, right? Even though we're not, I'm not going to do anything with that, what I can do as a service is let's take a look at it. Let's make sure that it's invested according to your risk profile, and then let's take a look at the investments themselves and, and make sure that they're working for you. So if you'd like to have that happen, let's make sure that everything is working for you. I encourage you to give Hector a call. I think you're going to have a really good conversation. That's really where it starts. And see what he can do for you. Again, it's, it's non-fee-based. Costs nothing to pick up the phone and call him. Costs nothing to sit down and meet with them. 940-453-3490. 940-453-3490. Also, of course, our friends, the attorneys, the Green Team. Robert Greening at Greening Law. If you've been hurt in a car accident, maybe you experienced malpractice, you were hurt on the premises of a business. Man, there are so many different reasons why you may not even realize you need a lawyer that's why the consultation with Robert Greening is free. You can pick up the phone and find out. Dude, it'll be the best phone call you ever made that didn't cost you anything. And the thing about the Green Team, man, is uh, they're really helpful. They handle everything for you. They ask you questions that you didn't know you're supposed to ask. They give you answers to questions you didn't know were supposed to be asked. They take care of everything so you can focus on getting better. And here's the thing that I love, and I keep telling you guys this. They don't get paid unless you get paid. That's a great deal because it means they're working hard for you to win your case and get you what you deserve. That's exactly right. I encourage you to pick up the phone and find out. Maybe you have a case, maybe you don't. They'll be able to tell you. And if you do, they're going to be with you, working with you, even months later, like they still are working with me. And I had my car accident coming up seven months ago. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now offices Dallas Texas the Cowboys are frustrating as hell man and there's so many different things to jump in here one of them and you know our old colleague Bob Sturm at Sports Radio 1310 the ticket there in Dallas and he's been doing it a long ass time and he does where he writes for the athletic and he does decoding Kellen he's been doing it all year long and he came across he put out this article which I thought was interesting because he pulled a couple of tidbits out that really paint a picture that makes me ask the question of why everybody is so infatuated with Kellen Moore, one, and why we all are just so quick to assume that Kellen Moore is gone, that he's going to be a head coach somewhere. And I've been saying that for the last couple of days. I've been asked by so many people here in the Alabama area, 
Like, like, well, you think you're going to lose Kellen? I was like, I mean, I don't know if it matters if we do. And I don't know what NFL team has watched the offense this year. There's like, I can't wait to have that dude call plays. I think um, uh, I wrote in the 10 truths that I write uh, for the Dallas Morning News after every Cowboys game. I wrote the other day, uh, yesterday, that uh, there's no way in the world Kellen Morrissey get a head coaching job. He couldn't fix the offense once it was broken. Uh, if you believe that Vic Fangio provided the blueprint to, to us disrupt the Cowboys offense, that's that's well and good. Uh, because what happens is he didn't make the adjustment uh, to stop it and, and figure out how to get their best players involved. And so while he's really talented and he's still really young, dude, he's not ready to be a head coach and play caller. You're exactly right. And, and you know, I thought this was fascinating because in this article he had this stat here, and it basically shows this is what happened to the Cowboys. And my God, San Francisco did it better than anybody else all season long on Sunday in the playoff game. Teams blitz, and then teams get pressure. They're not one and the same. You can blitz and not get pressure. You can get pressure without blitzing. If you get pressure without blitzing, what does that mean? Well, that means that if you're playing four up front, that means you are dropping seven into coverage. That means that if you are getting pressure with four, guess what, guys? There's six people on the offense that don't go down the field. Five offensive linemen and the quarterback. That means that if you are dropping seven, you have seven defenders covering five different dudes. That means what? You're probably going to do your best to take away the biggest options like Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb, and then you're going to tell the quarterback, look, if you want to throw the ball, go ahead, but you're going to have to check it down, and hopefully you can get through your fourth regression. And that's really what we saw on Sunday. Dak was under pressure, believe it or not, San Francisco blitzed only 18% of the time, which is one of the lowest totals the Cowboys faced all year. It was They also faced just 14% against the Denver Broncos. We saw what happened in that game. But they got pressure. San Francisco got pressure on Dak on 50% of the snaps in which he dropped back. 50%. So that is most of the time they were only bringing four got pressure, so they were forcing him to have to make quick decisions, and guess what? There was nobody to throw to because they got seven guys covering the four or five people that are down the field. You know, I think uh, all of that is is accurate, and I think that's why I wrote probably three weeks ago that until they fix the offensive line, bro, everything's going to be hard to do because this offensive line is a myth that it's a good offensive line because it's not. No. Um, it used to be, and, and it used to be one of the best in the NFL three or four years ago. But don't forget, man, they lost Travis Frederick off of that. He was a uh, all-pro caliber player, certainly a Pro Bowl caliber player, um, you know, which that's all you need to know. And then they replaced him with an average player. So it's been a drop-off. But, you know, Lyle Collins right now is playing like he's just a guy. Uh, Tyron Smith is still really good, but he's no longer elite. Um, dude, and Connor Williams is, um, they tried to give his job away, bro, and had to bring him back. And you saw what? Three penalties, I believe, the other day. Um, so until they get that offensive line fixed and better, however they do it, you know, um, they're going to struggle, man, because quarterbacks under duress make mistakes. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting things on this. And one of the things, so you say, okay, well, if there's nobody to, to pass it to, and that's true, and they're only going to have four and drop seven, why don't you run more? Why isn't the run game more effective? Well, if you can't block anybody, then the run game's not going to be effective. And who do you blame for that? You don't blame the quarterback. And a lot of people want to bring the running back. What is Zeke supposed to do when as soon as he gets the ball, there's somebody already there ready for him to tackle? 
Dude, if you look at that first play of the game mm-hmm. uh, where Zeke goes uh, and loses like three yards and gets smacked in the backfield by I believe it was number 51. Number 51 came through a hole, and I think um, I think Dalton Schultz, who was on the wing, was supposed to get over and block him. He was late getting there uh, because I saw him right as the linebacker arrived. And then if you look to the left of that, Fred Warner – is filling the hole too because Biotish didn't get in, didn't get there in time to get him. So you got the running back coming up, facing two unblocked linebackers before he gets to the line of scrimmage and he gets pummeled. It's one of these situations, and this is why, to me, you go back to Kellen Moore and you go back to Mike McCarthy because teams played the Cowboys like this multiple times this year and they never made adjustments. They never really gave Dak help. And again, Dak wasn't that great, but when you're getting constantly pressured, you have hardly any room to step up and make plays. Even on some of the throws that he was able to get off, they hit him. They were able to affect the pocket, able to affect the throw. And you get frustrated with, you say, okay, well, there's something you can do. The one drive that Tony Pollard was used in this game, the Dallas Cowboys scored a touchdown on. Now, the pass that Dak threw the touchdown pass on, they blitzed him. And he found Amari Cooper immediately for a touchdown. And so, again, they didn't blitz much in that game. But when they did, Dak was effective because then you can go through your progressions. You've got somebody coming at you, and you know somebody's going to be open, and you don't have to look through it and go, okay, because Zeke most of the times is not out running around. He's on a check down, going to run out to the flat. So, really, you have four dudes that are running down the field against six or seven guys that he has to go through real quick and see, okay, okay, pressure. Now i got to check it down. Yeah. No, it's a... You know, there's a way to do it, man, but if you just use common sense, bro, and this is not complicated. The the bottom line is the offensive line, the combination of the offensive line regressing and injuries, uh, you know, Zeke's injury was a big deal. The torn PCL robbed him of some explosiveness for about eight weeks. Uh, and, and then the lack of use of, of Tony Pollard, and then he, you know, he had that uh, plantar fasciitis uh, basically what I'm saying is when you can't run against seven, you have no chance. Right. I mean, when the, I mean, the seven-man box, you're supposed to run against mm-hmm. that, especially with the running backs that they have. You're supposed to pound people, and that's what they did early. Okay, you want to play seven? We will run it up your ass. Oh, you got tired of us doing that, so now you want to drop eight in the box? Fine. Amari and CD and everybody else going to go crazy, and that's the offense that they had the first six weeks, and you couldn't do anything with it. For whatever reason, the offensive line fell apart, the running game with injuries fell apart, and then the passing game fell apart. And for whatever reason, they refused to put Zeke and Pollard on the field together at all. Wasn't a single play run like that on Sunday. And the inability to find ways to be able to create opportunities for Tony Pollard to get the ball, to have more touchers, for whatever reason, it just goes away. And and that's what's so frustrating about the offensive game plan because – San Francisco didn't do anything really that revolutionary. They, they did what several other teams had done to Dallas over the course of the season. And you look at every single time that one of these teams blitzed, not very much, but got a lot of pressure, Dallas lost every single one of those games because there's just not a lot out there. And when you're getting pressure like that, Dak can't even go through all four of his progressions. It's immediately one, two, pressure, got to dump it off. I got to run. I'm going to take a sack. Oh, wait, I did actually make a great play on the run. Oh, shit, there's a hold. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of self, uh, self-induced self mistakes that they made. Um, 
But I, I think it's it's what you said, man. Their inability to run meant they could never control a game, and mm-hmm. um, it's 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 really disappointing because it started off so good. Uh, but dude, I mean, look at Zeke. I think he had one game of more than fifty fifty five yards right. the last twelve games of the year. This is a dude who went four seasons and like had three games under fifty his first three or four years in the league. I mean, think about that. Uh, I mean, so it's incredible, you know, at the way that their running game was shut down this season. And uh, here's the other thing, bro. Uh, and you wonder, don't laugh, Matt. You wonder if this is Jason Garrett's influence over Kellen Moore. <laughs> because, you know, Jason Garrett was all of the, we take what the defense gives us. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that to some degree. But I've always been like, you take what they give you, and then sometimes you take what you want. You can't have this game. And I'm not the only one to point this out. This game where you struggle offensively and you know you've been struggling offensively and two of your most explosive players, CeeDee Lamb and Tony Pollard, explosive players in terms of can change a game in an instant, can make a big play, can get you get you back going. They touched the ball and combined seven times, man, for 47 yards. Yeah. Tony Pollard has six touches, four for 14 rushing, two for 12 receiving. CeeDee Lamb catches one pass, and that doesn't happen until the middle of the fourth quarter. That, bro, is unacceptable. I mean, you have to figure out how to get your best players involved. Yeah, and again, this idea, and and because Gallup got hurt when he went down, like on Sunday, for instance, CeeDee Lamb was out wide on 93% of his snaps and was only used in the slot 7% of the time, even though over the course of the season, he had shown he's a better slot option. And, and, and for whatever reason, they didn't like it, and they were putting Wilson in the slot and, and Lamb out wide. But it just feels like you could mix and match more. You could do some more things. And this is what's so maddening. The, I think really the most damning thing for me, and this is McCarthy and it's Kellen Moore, is the fact that they knew Zeke Elliott had a torn PCL in his knee and still did not do enough to try and get a healthy win healthy Tony Pollard, more opportunities and more uh, just chances to make some plays when it was obvious to everybody watching, he had colossally more explosion after Zeke got hurt. You know, I think this is one of the most difficult things coaches have to do. Um, But this is what makes some coaches elite and some coaches, you know, you know, whatever, however you describe them. It's much like being a parent, man. It ain't really about me being your friend. It ain't really about you liking me and all this other stuff. It's about um, what's best for the team in this situation. And so, just like they had that tough conversation with Dak, yo, bro, you got to sit down, man. Uh, You know, better one game than five. You know, at some point, they needed to have that conversation with Zeke and be like, bro, you got to sit down couple weeks man to get you back Tony and whoever else we put in there will have to handle it until you get back and you just got to be man enough to have those difficult hard confrontational conversations and end up doing what's best for the team you do and and you have to do things like that and look this is I'm not saying Dak was good he wasn't Nobody on this team was good, but the reality of it is we saw Tampa Bay win a Super Bowl doing this last year they went in against Pat Mahomes what they do to Pat Mahomes they got constant pressure on him, made him extremely uncomfortable. It was very difficult for Mahomes to get any, any, any type of anything going, and Tampa Bay won a Super Bowl. 
I don't care what level of quarterback you are. We saw the New York Giants do it to Tom Brady when New England came in at 18-0. If you get constant pressure on the quarterback and you do it without blitzing, that team's not winning. You, if, you're, if your offensive line with five guys can't stop four dudes from getting to the quarterback, then you got a serious problem. And the Cowboys have a serious problem up front. Dude, I don't think there's any doubt about that, man. They have they have a big time problem. And the question is, how do you solve it? Because I'm not saying you got to go spend, you know, your first and second round pick on on offensive line, but you have to have a plan for how we're how you're going to solve it. And your plan could be, oh, well, Lyle Collins sucks at tackle. Maybe we can move him to guard, and he'll be an elite player, or he'll be a really good player. And Terrence Steele can handle tackle. Maybe that's what you do to fix it. Or you know, maybe you. You keep that scenario and you take a first-round tackle and you go, okay, Terrence Steele's a swing tackle. He's pretty good at swing tackle. We got a first-rounder at right tackle. Mm -hmm. We got Lyle Collins at guard. Now, okay, I think we're ready to roll again. We can hide Biotis between the first between Lyle Collins and Zach Martin. You know, so however you approach it, it doesn't matter. But these are the conversations that they have to be having right now uh, so that they can make it happen and get it done because, dude, it's just such a disappointing season. It is. It's extremely disappointing. And, and all of these things that we're talking about to me, yes, you know, maybe it's different if Cedric Wilson hits Tony Pollard on that little hitch and go type thing that they were trying to do or whatever you, whatever type of play you want to call that and some of the different things that weren't executed. But reality of it is at the end of the day, when I look at some of these different things, it's so difficult for me not to sit here and say that this is on McCarthy, that this is on Kellen Moore, and trying to find ways to understand, because we had seen it so many times, what are we going to do if San Francisco only brings four, doesn't blitz, and is still getting pressure? <laughs> and they had no answer. And, and it goes all the way down to the final play again. All the way down to the final play. It, to me, it's the coaching of Dak. It has got to be drilled into his head. You give the ball to the ref. Okay, well, the coaches told him 90 million times over and over and over. And in the heat of the moment, Dak forgot, and that's on Dak. Reality of it is, they still got a snap off. How come there wasn't an emergency play, something that they sat there and said, we don't have time to get a playoff. I know that now. We have to have something else in, in ready to go and just run the Hail Mary right now. Or as Ed Werder pointed out, instead of running the draw play at the end, you've got one of the worst passing coverage secondaries in the game who was one of the worst at having defensive pass interference called against them. Why not take a couple of Hail Mary shots down the field at the end of the game? Well, I think that was all of it, man. They didn't take no shots. They didn't take very many shots the whole game. Uh, I wish that they had. Um, but I think the, the bigger issue, man, is – and I wrote again about this uh, today for a column I've got in the Dallas Morning News uh, tomorrow, um, which is that, dude, you just can't be that risky. You know what I'm saying? You can't take a play that requires you to just have one you know, maybe if it all if if anything goes wrong, the play is over right. and the game is over. You just can't take that chance, dog. It's a risk reward. You know, um, you just the risk reward is just not high enough because everything has to go right, otherwise we're hosed. And that to me is on the coaching, and and that's why I just don't know after seeing this for two seasons and the frustrations and seeing it week in and week out unless Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore are going to really look at each other and say they've got to be more flexible in game 
and be more flexible week to week and understanding we've got to try some different things if we're seeing these looks. I, I just don't know how this is going to change. Well, I'm a, uh, I think some of that is real. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to say this, dog. The other thing you got to do is, and I haven't seen them do it yet. Maybe they've done it in the interim, but I haven't seen them do it yet. They got to own this ass kicking that they took, man. Mm-hmm. There's none of this. The officials against us is good. Folks were throwing stuff at them after the game because right. without this, if, nah, man, y'all got your ass kicked, man. And so you got to own it. You know, it's like uh, you know I, I tell my kids this all the time. Everybody screws up, man. Everybody screws up. There's no perfect person. We all screw up. What you got to do is own what you did. Figure out how to not let that same thing happen again. Make a new mistake. Don't be making the same old mistake. And then move on and keep it moving. What's well, the same thing with the Cowboys, man? You can't move on if you really go into the offseason saying, you know what, man, the officials really cost us. We had a chance to, to yeah. throw that Hail Mary and win the game on the last play, and, and we just didn't. That's not why you lost, man. Yep. You lost because they kept the ball for damn near 34 minutes. You lost because they were 6 of 13 on third downs. You lost because they ran for 169 yards and 4.4 average. You lost because you only ran for 77 yards. You lost because you gave up five sacks. Ain't none of that shit have anything to do with the last 14 seconds. And if Kyle Shanahan hadn't made so many tactical errors, they'd have won by two or three touchdowns. Yeah, you're exactly right. So it is what it is, but they've got a lot of questions, I think, that they need to – you have to have real conversations, and you have to find some way to adapt. And that was one of those things over the course of this season. They simply just did not. There was no adaptation. They kept trying to do the same damn stuff. And there just there seems to be some level of stubbornness within the game from week to week from both Moore and from Coach McCarthy. Okay, see, I'm going I'm to challenge you on that. Is it stubbornness or is it they just don't know how to do it? Well, then if they don't know how to do it, they should be fired immediately. Okay. But I'm, I'm saying that's a, that's a real thing. You know, if you, you know, making adjustments, like everybody goes, oh, when you play this team, here's the cover three beaters that you use. But the Cowboys don't really have a lot of those in their office. Well, then, damn it, they need to get some. <laughs> I mean, you just can't run your offense. You got to have beaters for every defense that comes up. Now, maybe you get to him, maybe you don't, maybe you execute the play, maybe you don't. But, you know, you have to be, you have to have the flexibility within your scheme because every defense has flaws in it. There's no perfect defensive scheme. Every scheme has a flaw, and you have to attack that flaw. And typically, you should attack it with your best players. Uh, you know, Dalton Schultz should never have 10 targets and CeeDee Lamb have five. You know what I'm saying? It just shouldn't be like that because who's the more who's the bigger weapon? Should always be trying to get the ball in yep. the hands of your playmakers. But you have to understand again, it goes back to okay, in this situation, if we're going to get let let's say what if they get what Denver got where they don't blitz us much but they get a ton of pressure. What how do we react to that? Because then we know they're going to take away Cooper and Lamb, and we're probably going to have to throw it a lot to Schultz. How do we, if that's the scenario, since we already saw it this season, guys, against a, a lesser team, let's just devil's advocate here in the room as we prepare for this game in the playoffs. If we lose, we're done. What if they do what Denver did and get pressure without blitzing? How do we counteract that? And we saw nothing. We saw no answer to that. They had no answers for it. 
No, I mean, I think, um, but see, it's even, to me, bro, it's even, um, uh, I don't know, just a tad bigger than that. It's just, you just have to understand how to put the, you know, put it like this, bro. And I, I think I mentioned this it's, it's one of these forums I write for. The Rams don't seem to have a problem finding Cooper Cup getting him the ball. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, Devontae Adams, they don't have no problem getting him the ball in Green Bay. How about this? Debo Samuel. They made sure he gets the ball. Stephon Diggs in Buffalo, he gets the ball, man. Adam Thielen, he gets the ball. Jamar Chase, you you think they're not double covering Jamar Chase? No, exactly. But again, are they are those offensive lines getting mauled up front to where their quarterback has to go through his his progressions and doesn't have time for those guys to get open? And then to your point, if that's the case, and that's what I'm talking about, if you assume that you're not going to be able to protect very well, then how do we still scheme things so that Amari Cooper and Ceedee Lamb can get the ball? Yeah, and that's and they're not the whole doing key, right? Because you can scheme things. You put guys in the slot. You can develop quick quick things to get them the ball. The key is to get them the ball and to put them in a position to make something happen. And that's what's because, so irritating yeah. about this. Yeah. Because they're not doing that. And it, it's, it's frustrating as hell. And, again, if you bring back the same head coach and the same offensive coordinator, I, I, I don't know how much you're going to be able to change the offensive line. You got the same quarterback, the same running backs, and you're going to have ma- basically the same receivers – We'll see what I, I just don't know. I really don't know. They're, they are at a point now where they have to earn back, at least in my mind, a lot of belief. And they're going to have to be able to show that they can do this in different situations that they haven't shown they could do this season, that they couldn't adapt to it for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, you know, you say they got to earn back some belief. Uh, I'm just dude. saying from me because I've, I've seen. Well, from what I've seen so far, I haven't seen the whiz kid Kellen Moore make the adjustments like when Vic Fangio played him that way earlier this year and they decided not to blitz and then they got the pressure. So what are you going to do? If you can't upgrade your offensive line drastically and, and some teams next year are not going to blitz and then they get pressure, then how do you combat that? What are you going to be able to do? Yeah, I think it's... um. See, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the same thing happened to what? Andy Reid and Kansas City earlier in the year. Team stopped blitzing uh, right. Pat Mahomes. They started playing coverage. And it took the Chiefs about six or seven weeks to figure out what the hell to do. But then guess what they did? They figured out what the hell to do. They started running the ball more. They started running it more effectively. They switched some things up, and all of a sudden the Chiefs were back, and now they're, you know, uh, number two seed in the AFC. And, yep. uh, who's going to be surprised if they're in the Super Bowl? Nobody. Um, so it's possible to go through a struggle for a few weeks and figure it out. Problem is they never figured it out in Dallas. Aside from Atlanta and Washington and Philly, three of the worst teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Well, I shouldn't call Philly that uh, since they did make the playoffs. But, um, you know, they didn't do that against any uh, anybody else who was worth a damn. No, they didn't. And, you know, when you look at it, it's one of those things in the NFC East. They spent their season beating up the NFC East. If you take away the NFC East games and the six division games in which they went 6-0, and in their other 11 games, they averaged 26 points a game. Now, it's still pretty good, but, but that's not... That's not what they're at when you put everything together and you act like against the NFC East, they average 40 points a game in six games. <laughs> Which is insane. So yeah, a little I'm bit sh- different. And, and 
just a little bit different, much like the Eagles. The Eagles, the Eagles were playing in the NFC East as well, and then they go out to play a real team. They get their ass kicked. Yeah, uh, I think the difference is we think Dallas had a uh, had a talented roster. I think the Eagles, I didn't think they were all that talented, and so you know you're trying to figure out where the disconnect is for the Dallas Cowboys to have that talent and yet not get the results. Um, now, for saying that, bro, and we touched on this earlier. Um, you know, and I pride myself on not doing this, but I think I did it this year, which is you just ignore the warning signs and you come up with excuses for it. Because if you think about it, the second half of the season, man, is a big game against the Raiders Thanksgiving Day at home. And the Raiders aren't any good. And you figure out a way to lose that game. And then you go, well, you know, the Raiders have a lot of talent. And so, you know, this, you know, this is, um, you know, what they're capable of doing on a given day. Yeah. Except that what happened, bro, the Raiders didn't 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 use that win as a as a jump start to their season. Um, they I think they lost the next week. Uh, when you look at um, the Cardinals, the Cardinals won one game the last six weeks. And that was a blowout, essentially, or what yeah. felt like a blowout of the Cowboys. Yeah, and everybody loves Kyler Murray, and he's the savior and all that, and then they just dropped off a cliff. Yeah, so you see what I'm saying? Like, they were losing these games that were important, and it was like the only good teams they were facing. So, okay, you just need to win this one, and you're good. And they just could never figure out how to do it, bro. And so at a certain point, you're like, well, damn. You know, like even like, and and I, we were talking about the Raiders because when the Cowboys beat the Raid, when the Raiders beat the Cowboys, they had lost three in a row. They beat Dallas, and then they lost another two in a row. <laughs> and so the Cardinals, you know, they had lost three in a row. Yeah, beat the Cowboys, and then continued to lose out. And so it's just like, you know, we ignored these things, and you know, we gave you a bunch of compelling reasons for San Francisco to beat the Cowboys, and why it's a difficult matchup. But we go, but I'm sure that they'll play their best football. That they'll be focused, that the quarterback will play a lot better. They have a quarterback edge. And we just assumed all these things, even though we didn't have any evidence of them doing it against anybody except the trash teams in the NFC East. Mm -hmm. That's welcome to it. I mean, this is it. So frustrating as hell. There's, there's no other way around it. But let's get into some other things. We still got Todd Archer. We're going to talk to him coming up here in a bit. But, of course, if you're frustrated and you just feel like, ah, or maybe you're a little hangry, might I suggest some bruised biltong for you? The perfect snack, bruised biltong. If you like beef jerky, you're going to absolutely love beef biltong. Biltong is the type of meat that it is. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. I'm going to tell you straight up, as I have for the last couple of months, it is better, it is more savory, it is juicier, it is more tender. If you like beef jerky, you will love biltong and it fills you up man it's a great snack no it's a uh, great snack is is the ideal word um, i like it because you can get the two ounce pack for like 240 calories uh, it's really filling for me it's got 30 grams of protein it's got no sugar no carbs no additives so it's natural man uh, y'all know I, I, I work out a bit i try to keep watch my weight it's a perfect snack for me 
It is. It's fantastic. Again, like you're talking about those two ounce snack bags, 240 calories, 30 grams of protein. Absolutely delicious. You're going to love it. And when you go to bruisebiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, bruisebiltong.com, use the promo code JAM15 at checkout. You'll get 15% off your order. Do it now. Biltong is badass. Eat it. By the way, I just made up that tagline. I don't even know if they like it, but maybe we'll find out. Also, of course, brought to you by the new online women's boutique. It is Kinley Rose. KinleyRose.com. You got to check it out, ladies, if you're looking for a cute new outfit. Or guys, let's not forget, believe it or not, we're three weeks away from Valentine's Day. And your lady friend is probably expecting a little something. You might brighten her day, and it's an easy Valentine's Day gift at KinleyRose.com. You can even purchase an e-gift card and let her select the outfit, and she'll think it's a cool thing because it's new, it's fashionable, it's trendy. Again, focusing on attainable style without sacrificing comfort. It's a local small business online only. The new online women's boutique, KinleyRose.com. Again, you can find them on their Instagram if you'd like to check them out there. There at Shop Kinley Rose. And keep in mind, if you are a first-time customer, use that promo code JAMSESSION10 and you get 10% off your first order. Makes a great Valentine's Day present. Do yourself a favor, guys, or even ladies, get yourself an outfit. But I know a lot of guys listening to us. Guys, trust me on this. This will be a good Valentine's Day gift at KinleyRose.com. K-I-N-L-E-Y-Rose.com. The new online women's boutique, Check them out at KinleyRose.com. Also, of course, our friends JR and his crew over there at Freeway Tire Shop, as Jacques can tell you, if you are looking for a mechanic to trust to do a variety of work on all of your cars, JR is the guy to go to. Dude, JR is fantastic. Uh, I use him for all my vehicles for one simple reason. I trust the dude, man. I trust him to diagnose a problem with my car. I trust him to use quality parts to fix it. I trust him to give me a good freaking price. Yeah, I know I got to pay for the service, man, but... You don't have to gouge me. And then I, I, I trust him to stand behind his work. JR does that time and time and time and time again. I wouldn't take my cars to anybody else. He is the man. He is the man. That's the exact way to put it. Competitive pricing, elite customer service. The mechanic you can trust, man. It's Freeway Tire Shop. Schedule your appointment, or if you'd like, you can simply request your quote online as well at Freeway Tire Shop just freewaytireshop.com. I was going to say just north of downtown Dallas, right there off 35, very easy to get to. So let's take a trip around the block and get into some fun things that hopefully everybody can enjoy. I know that we are big fans of barbecue, and and we love Smokey John's Barbecue, of course. The the guys, the brothers that own Smokey John's there in Dallas, we're big fans of what they do and the Jam Session Bowl and everything. But there's a lot of barbecue places in Dallas, and there's a lot of good barbecue places in Dallas. One of those that I think is pretty good is... Heim Barbecue. And, you know, it's interesting because Heim Barbecue originally started out there in Fort Worth and it really kind of became a thing where like, oh, you got to try Heim. You got to try Heim. Then they opened up that place right there across the street from the entrance to Love Field Airport on the Dallas side. Yes, sir. And that became the thing. Well, I didn't realize this, but they now have another location on the Trinity River in Fort Worth. And they are about to open up two more locations on the west side of the DFW area. One of them is in Burleson, which is, for those that don't know, is south of Fort Worth. And that restaurant is under construction right now. And the other one that they are opening up, 
which is going to be just east. It's it's kind of in between, like, out where Alito is, kind of. It, it's in between Fort Worth and Weatherford. It's a little right. city called Hudson Oaks. They're opening up a location in Hudson Oaks. Wow. Now, yeah. I've... Uh... I had never been to Heim in Fort Worth just because it's hard to carve out time to get to Fort Worth except for, you know, a special occasion. Then once I get yeah. over there, I want to hang out for a while. Uh, but uh, I have been to the one uh, at Love Field and the, the burn ends, baby. That's what they're known for. They're the truth now. Yeah. And uh, the barbecue is fantastic, bro. I see why they're why they're expanding. And I think we, we say this all the time, you, normally with craft beer, you just want to make sure that when you expand – Every one of them tastes the same. That's true. That is very true. And, and you know, you, you do kind of wonder that because I think there's something to the hole in the wall. Man, there's this one location. And again, yeah. kind of like craft beer. Once all of a sudden it's accessible and everybody has it, you're like, yeah, it's good. But it, it just, there, there's a mentality that comes along with anything that's rare. Yeah. And I'm not uh, like, yeah. And so I'm curious as to, are you good with five or is like, you know, you want to be like raising canes. You want them everywhere. Uh, right. And I'm just curious. It, it's not good or bad. It's just what it is. Um, but um, I, I do enjoy it. And uh, I'm, I'm just saying that whenever anybody expands, you hope that you can keep the same quality control because now you're branching out. You know, do you have – and I'm sure that these are not new conversations for them, but, you know, the pit master's got to be the same at all of them. And it doesn't have to be the same guy, but – you know, it's got to be the process has got to be. And then right. it's not it's not it's a science to it, too. So, you know, how do you carry it over to four or five different locations? That's the uh, that's the trick, man, to make it all the same, especially barbecue, um, especially barbecue. that has been elite barbecue. So that yeah. it's not just it doesn't sign. It doesn't start to taste like just average run of the mill barbecue. Yeah. And it's wild, man, because Hudson Oaks is one of those areas that it, it, it's really it's west of Alito. It's over there. If any, if anybody knows where like Aneta is or Willow Park, it's it's right out there in that area before you get to Weatherford. But it's out there. I mean, it is out west of Fort Worth, and it's an area that's really been growing. And I think it's interesting because they are putting a five thousand square foot restaurant there. It'll have a covered patio and beer garden with room for live music, out in Hudson okay. Oaks of all places. All right, well, you know, they must have been talking to the engineers, and that's one of those places that 10 years from now will be like, you know, Flower Mound or somewhere. I guess with so. 50, it, it, with 50,000 people living there. Yeah, and you, I mean, look, reality of it is it, it would not be a surprise if someday sooner rather than later that west side of Fort Worth all the way because Alito has grown so much, and now that Hudson Oaks and that area in between Alito and Weatherford is growing, eventually it's going to be like going from Dallas to up north of McKinney, where from Fort Worth out west of Weatherford is just nothing but development. Nah, that's, I mean, that's how the suburbs in the country come closer to the city. They all get linked. The other thing that I came across, and some of you may know this because it has been there. The building has been there since 1903. The restaurant opened in 1948 serving chicken fried steak. It is called Ranchman's Cafe in Ponder. And this one has been closed. This is nuts. It's been closed for 662 days because of COVID-19 and then because of some construction delays. But they are about to reopen it after 662 plus days. <laughs> and for Jeez. those, this is not Prosper, okay? I'm saying Ponder. And for those that don't know, Ponder is, at, God, that's at least... 
it, it's it's kind of out there by Denton, actually. Like I, I, I'm, it's I'm trying to think. It's on the west side of Denton. That's where it is, and so it's probably about 15 minutes west of Denton. But they've got a restaurant. I mean, think about that. A restaurant where the building has been there since 1903. Jeez. And you never hear, like, a restaurant being closed that long? I mean, come on. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm amazed that they could bring it back with it being closed that long. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. I just looked at it on the map. That's out there on the side, uh, same side as Crumb, but Crumb is further north. So you hit Crumb and then you hit Ponder out there west of Denton. Damn, beyond Crumb. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's... (laughs) That's one of those things that is way out there, man. But that is, that's really interesting. Apparently, it's one of the oldest restaurants in North Texas still hanging on during the pandemic. Incredible. I was going to say, nothing but love for them, bro. Yeah, how, this is, apparently, Meatloaf filmed a music video there, and Bobby Flay taped a Food Network show there. I'm not going to say I would have ever known that. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't have known that. What meat? Let's see. I'm going to click on it and see what song he filmed there. Well, I don't want to have to. Oh, okay. So apparently the meatloaf videos for the, this, I've never heard of this song. Objects in the rear view mirror may appear closer than they are by meatloaf. I don't know. Okay. Um, I can name one meatloaf song. <laughs> That's it. I, I don't know what to tell you. And so I've heard then, of him, but I can't even name a song. Uh, no, you know, the one that he says he's or that he sings, he sings, and I would do anything for love. You know that song? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But see, I, I won't do that. Yeah, yeah see, I didn't know that. Yeah, so you have that. The other thing, and I apologize, if you are a fan of Bucky's, this is going to be a, a bummer for you. I, and I thought it's interesting, and I, I don't know what to think about it. But as we all know, Bucky's is known for their mammoth convenience, their... They have the world, what is considered to be the world's biggest convenience store. The Bucky's convenience store is the one in New Braunfels, which is right. the biggest travel center ever. It is absolutely massive. The one in New Braunfels is a 68,000 square foot behemoth. Oh it my. has 120 fuel pumps. But Bucky's has announced it is going to open a new location. Damn. Outside of Texas, that will be the biggest Bucky's ever. Outside of Texas. And I thought, wait, hold on a second. Texas is what, and I live in Alabama, and I love Alabama, but let's be honest. Texas is what made you guys, and you're going to build a bigger one outside of the state where everything's bigger? <laughs> yeah. Where is it going, bro? It is going in Seaverville, Tennessee, and they will say it is the first stop on everyone's Smoky Mountain adventure. All righty. Which I am unfamiliar with this part of Tennessee. So I'm going to look it up because I might be driving through that. Because, all right, it is, let's see, where is it? Oh, wow, yeah, that is way out there in Tennessee. That is north of Asheville, North Carolina, Smack dab uh, in the Great Smoky Mountains. So yeah, I, I, so that's I, like that's like Eastern Tennessee, eh? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's on the east side of Knoxville. So yeah, definitely. I mean, it is almost on the North Carolina border. It's about, it's a little closer to Knoxville than it is to Asheville, North Carolina. But it's right across the Tennessee state border. So that's where it's going to go. I was curious because I'm actually driving to Asheville 
North Carolina coming up at the end of February. No, no, I'm no. going to go hit Asheville for a couple of days. But anyway, so this one, this one that they're putting this part of Tennessee will have 120 fuel pumps, a 250-foot car wash, and 74,000 square feet of indoor shopping. <laughs> you know, I had never been to Bucky's till about a year ago or a year and a half ago uh, because I kept hearing so many people talk about it and you were talking about it. So I finally went. It, uh, it's the real deal, man. It's a hell of an adventure, especially if you haven't been before. Yeah, it is indeed. And, and, you know, it's odd, and I think I've mentioned this before, but where I live in Alabama, there's only a couple of them outside the state. And I didn't realize this, but apparently the they now have six not in the state of Texas, which I did not know that. I thought there were only the two. I'm trying to see where they are because I live right by one. I mean, that's what's so weird is I live closer to a Bucky's here in Alabama. It's in Leeds, Alabama, which is Charles Barkley's hometown. For those that right. may recognize Leeds, there's one literally less than 10 minutes away from where I live right now, and it's way closer than any of the ones in Texas ever were to me. Damn, how about that? I know, isn't what's that your favorite, What's your favorite thing at Bucky's, man? The gas. It's the cheapest gas. It's it's I mean, I'm not kidding you. There's a gas station across the street from Bucky's and the gas at Bucky's is 15 cents cheaper per gallon than the one across the street. I mean, their gas is the cheapest gas you can find anywhere. But if you're talking yes. about items to eat, the beaver nuggets are hard to pass, man. Those are good. <laughs> and I like the smoked turkey. They do a smoked turkey barbecue sandwich, which is really good that I like a lot as well. All right. I feel you. Now the beaver nuggets were good, bro. So they have 40 locations across the country, and 34 of them are currently in Texas, with six of them outside of Texas. And I'm trying to see exactly where these other six are. Man, this is nuts. So they are like they are crazy expanding. So not only are they going to put that giant one in Tennessee, but they also have plans that they're going to open one in 2023 coming up in Springfield, Missouri. Springfield, Missouri? That's the capital, right? No, Jefferson City is the capital. Man, how nuts is that? I had no idea that they had all these locations in different states. I don't know. Like, it's kind of cool, but at the same time, it's kind of not because it felt neat when it was a Texas special. So let's see. Here are the ones that are not in Texas. Leeds, which is the one I live by in Alabama. One down in Loxley, Loxley Alabama, which is down by Gulf Shores, not too far away from the Gulf. There's one in Daytona Beach, Florida, St. Augustine, Florida. And then one in Calhoun, Georgia, and Warner Robins, Georgia. And those are the six locations outside the state of Texas. Man, I bet uh, they'll have 12 real soon. I bet they will, man. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, look, reality of it is if you ever see a Bucky's or if you know a Bucky's is on your way when you're traveling, you, you will just wait and stop there. There's no reason to stop anywhere else. No, because they got everything, man. They got everything from clothes to food to gadgets to stuff. Just, you know. You know, I used to be a big Loves fan. And, and a lot of the times I still am because of just the, the, how easy it can be because loves are everywhere when you're traveling, like interstate traveling, like we yes. have to do sometimes. But I will tell you this. There's a couple of places called Dukes in East Texas that they're just cleaner and nicer. And, and I used to love going to Love's, but now having been to Bucky's and seeing what some of these other new kind of big travel centers are doing, Love's has got to step up their game. What do you think they have to do? Because I like Love's. 
I think they need to, like, the way Bucky's does its bathrooms and the way this Duke's place does their bathrooms, they're cleaner. They're always clean. They're nicer. You have better, like, stalls if you got to sit and take a dump or something like that. It's just, it's it's a better setup for you, and you're more comfortable when you are traveling. And obviously, one of the things Bucky's does is they offer so much, and they it, it's, there's just a better way of doing it. But that being said, if everybody could do what Chick-fil-A would, was doing, then Chick-fil-A would have to be open seven days a week. True that, true that. But Bucky's is a game changer, and I'd like to see more of them because I, I'd like to have more when I'm having to travel. That's where I would prefer to stop. Well, it's really that they're the standard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, and so, I mean, yeah. And, and they got it. They got a great brand. And so, uh, you know, that's why I said I'm sure they'll have 12 soon and – you know, once you start that expansion outside of Texas, brother, it's, you know, the world is your oyster. It definitely is. It's something completely different. And so look for it, I guess. If you are some of our listeners that are in the Tennessee area or you ever go up to the Smoky Mountains, which I've never been to that part of the country. I drove to Charlotte once, but the way we went, we went through Atlanta and came around more up the eastern side of the Smokies. But on our drive to Asheville, which we're going to go the weekend after my birthday in February for a few days, because Asheville is the beer capital of the world, of, of America. There's right. Now, granted, I say that, there's something like 30 breweries in Asheville, and it used to be the most breweries per capita, and they've got some just legendary breweries there. And the route that we're going, we'll go up through northeastern Alabama, up through southwestern Tennessee, and then cutting over kind of into... So we won't, we'll probably come fairly close to where this is, but we won't quite go that direction. But I've not been to, like, the actual Smoky Mountains, and I've heard that it's very, very pretty in that area. You need to go check it out. You're that close, so. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was going to say, you're an outdoorsy kind of guy. It's just a matter of time until you get there. Oh, I can't wait, and I hope. There's two things that I hope. One, we don't have, like, some Jeep or off-road vehicle, so I hope it's not crazy snowy, but I do kind of hope it snows. Really? I, I mean, I think it'd be awesome to be in the mountains and it's snowing for a couple of days. It'd be badass. I just don't want to get stuck there, you know? Okay, well, you can have all of that. I'll take <laughs> 74 degrees in January. I bet you will. I bet you will. All right, before we get into our conversation with Todd Archer, let's tell you about HFX Foundation Solutions. Aaron and his crew doing fantastic work, a full-service foundation repair company. If you are in the DFW area, they service the entire area. And we tell you this all the time, but reality of it is with the weather, especially in Texas, the extreme heat and the extreme cold, and then it'll just deluge rainfall. If you are noticing cracks or sticking doors or sloped floors, things like that, you need to give them a call because they'll come out. It's a free, no obligation inspection, about a 45 minute process, and they can potentially save you thousands of dollars if you catch some of your foundation problems as early as possible. Dude, it's the only way to do it, man. Let HFX give you peace of mind. That's what I like to say. I mean, we call it a colonoscopy for your house because they come and check you out, give you the once over. And if there is a problem, guess what? Chances are you caught it early. And so it'll cost you a fraction of the cost as if you would cost caught something late. And then most of the time, there is nothing. And so that's the peace of mind that I'm talking about. Give Aaron and his crew an opportunity to give you that peace of mind. It's easy to do, man. Pick up the phone. Give them a call. 817-770-0174. You can find them online at hfxfoundation.com. A-rated with the Better Business Bureau. Give them a call now. Help them 
help you. It's the way to do it. 817-770-0174. And of course, as always, Todd Archer brought to you by our friends at Blue Star Motor Group. Getting it done, whether you are looking to buy or sell. I just ask, this is all I ask. Include them in the process. If you are looking to buy a vehicle, pick up the phone, give Deb a call, let her know what you are going through and what you've been talking about. A lot of the times they'll be able to make you a better deal. And if you were looking to sell your car and a dealership said, hey, well, we'll give you this much, I would encourage you. You've got to pick up the phone and call Deb. Let her know. Say, hey, I just had an offer from a dealership for this. What do you think? A lot of the times they can beat those dealerships because they have such low overhead. True that, but the beauty about Deb is she can make the deal, man. You give her a text, you give her a call, it doesn't matter. Get in touch with her. She can make the deal. There's no GM, there's no finance manager, there's nobody she's got to check with. She can get a deal done. That's what I love about her. And then the other thing is, man, the thing that why uh, Blue Star works, they want it to be a win-win situation. After you sign the paperwork, after the handshake is done, when you take that picture, they want you smiling, man, when you drive off thinking, yeah, we got a good deal out of this. Yes, indeed, indeed you will. It's very easy to do. You can shoot her a text if you want. You don't have to call her. I'd encourage you to do either one. 817-881-4066. 817-881-4066. Online at bluestarmotorgroup.com. And don't forget, if you do decide that you want to sell your car to them, guess what? They come to you. They bring you cash. They pay you cash on site and take your car. That's how simple it is with bluestarmotorgroup.com. Here he is, of course, brought to you by BlueStarMotorGroup.com, our ESPN Cowboys insider, Todd Archer, joining us. Todd, Cowboys season is over. The frustrating loss to the San Francisco 49ers. What are you thinking when you're watching that game, seeing how it played out with all the penalties and some of the questionable calls at the end and throughout the course of the game? It was everything that we thought about this team. They can be really good. They can be really inconsistent. They can be really bad. They were all of those things. And, and all of their warts showed up in the game. And that's why when we talked, like we said, San Francisco is a bad matchup for these guys for all of those reasons. San Francisco forced them into being poor at times and being inconsistent. Their run game gave the Cowboys trouble. Clearly, they got bullied. No one wants to say it. They got bullied. Um, Jimmy G was able to make some – now Jimmy G kept them in the game, but he was able to make some plays for the air. And then on the offense – their, their line couldn't protect well enough. They couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, and and this is what happens. Your season ends early. And now it's all – every question that you had about this team going into that game, you're going to carry it with you for the rest of the offseason and say, okay, what are you going to do to get better? And I don't know – honestly, they're not set up – there's no long-term window here with this team. This is it. This was their window right here this year because everything's going to change next year. There's not going to be a – there'll be a lot of change on this team that it's not going to look close to the same with, with names and people that we've seen around here for a number of years, in, in my opinion. Hold that thought, Matt. I mean, Todd, because I think, uh, I think you're on to something here uh, because I've been saying, and I ain't breaking no news here, uh, but I, I thought uh, this was going to be their best, most talented roster for the next two or three years for just such the stuff that Todd is talking about. Now, why is it that you think there'll be so much change and upheaval in the offseason, Arch? We, we can you, – you can mask and hide things all you want with the salary cap and make money and make things do what you want to do and 
push money forward and blah, blah, blah. Well, now you're into the heart of Dak's contract, and when you had a $40 million quarterback, that's hard to keep everybody. You have Demarcus Lawrence that counts $27 million against the cap next year. Can he really stay at that number? And if he does, okay. You want to keep a really good player at that number? Cool. Randy Gregory's not going to be back here on this team. I don't see how they can keep both. You got Amari, you got Amari Cooper. Another $20 million fully guaranteed five days into the league year. Couple questions there. A, is he worth it? B, okay. If you keep him, then you're saying goodbye to Dalton Schultz can't be back here. He's going to make too much money. Uh, Gallup, his future's up near with the knee. Cedric Wilson, he's probably going to get more money than the Cowboys would want to spend, I would guess. So, uh, Tyron Smith, still a pretty favorable contract on him. He missed six games this year. Is he the same guy? I don't know. We move on to him, Lael Collins. His suspension voided the guarantee in his in his contract. You can get out of that deal if you choose to. Okay, you want to move on from those guys? Who's the left and right tackle next year? Aaron Steele, okay, come on down to the right tackle. Who's your left tackle? I don't know. So there's a – and I didn't even get to the coaches yet with, with Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore. Theoretically, they could be gone. You'd like to think that the Cowboys are – Preparing for that possibility, if not inevitability, with, with Quinn, and, and you're going to have a plan in place. So that's why I think, he, you know, Dak said it, he said it. They knew this was their best chance. It doesn't mean they won't, another chance won't come up, but they, they just, they're going to need a lot of things to go right again next year. There's no building of an opening of a window. I think I've, I've done that. I've gone past, I, I'm done with that thinking, like, but back in 07, and right, this was the beginning of a window for the Cowboys. Okay, they lost the this year, they'll be back. They were never back. That team was never good again. Or never as good again. It's going to be the same thing 07, 14, 16, now 21. So, you know, you've had opportunities, and this is why you've gone 26 years without a Super Bowl parent. You know, with, with all that being said, and you look at this and you move forward, were, were you surprised at all that – or, or maybe they're still going to change something, but are you surprised at all that McCarthy and Cullen Moore potentially could both be back? No. Jerry told us that one of his biggest regrets was firing Chan oh, Gailey after two years. What was that? What are you doing, Jock? I'm blaming Jock. Oh, that was Jock. That's my phone saying, hey, bro, it's charged me up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess you just can't look at the number in the right corner of the phone and say it needs to be charged. All right. You know, some sometimes you get busy, you don't think about it. That's just a little reminder that says, "Yo, I'm down to uh, you know, 20%. It's uh, you know, it's time to make a move, brother." Anyway, Chan Gailey, two playoff seasons, 98-99, Jerry got rid of them. They go 5 and 11 the next 3 years. Who knows if they would have been any better with the way that roster was comprised anyway, but Jerry told us that's a big regret. Now he's going to get rid of the guy after he went 12 and 5 and kill him more. Like okay, you get rid of Kellen Moore. Who's your offensive coordinator? Are you going to have Mike McCarthy be the guy who Colin plays and still run this offense, or are you going to have to run his offense? This isn't Mike McCarthy's offense that you saw in Green Bay. This is Kellen Moore's offense, Jason Garrett's offense, Scott Linehan's offense, Bill Callahan's offense. It, that's the bones of this one. It's not Mike McCarthy. Oh, Ben McAdoo. Well, he, he's around. He, maybe he spent a year learning this offense. Did Kellen Moore ever once mention Ben McAdoo when he was talking about their scheming, planning, developing, 
No, he'd mentioned Al Valero and, and Chase Hazlitt and these other guys. So I don't know. But I, I don't. I don't think Kellen Moore can be head coach a, a, anywhere, and I think he's going to be back as the offensive. I mean, and I don't know why he wouldn't be back as offensive coordinator in 2022. Why do you think he won't be a head coach? The odds say he won't be, right? Because there's 50 candidates up for these gigs and there's eight jobs. So the numbers tell you that someone else is going to get the job before him. And I don't think, um, I don't know if he's, I, I've heard he impressed in his interview in Philly last year. I heard he did a pretty good job in Jacksonville too. But, you know, does he have the presence to be a head coach at 33 years old? I, I, I don't know. And so that's why I think he'll be back. doesn't mean someone could hire him if, but and be wild by him and say, okay, this is the next Sean Payton, this is the next Sean McKay, whatever. Maybe, but my gut just says he's going to be back. Do you think that Amari Cooper will be on this team in 2022? No. As of now, no. Am I reporting that? No. <laughs> so when, when the pullout quote comes, from this one it's just my opinion right that no right 20 million dollars they can get out of it and save six they'd be if he's on the roster the fifth day of the league year that's fully guaranteed you know I, I it's not a because he missed covid situation i just think they're gonna have to find money in spots and okay you got cd maybe you draft another guy you, you can maybe get gallup back on a one-year deal that he'd want to come back here to prove himself again. Maybe he can keep Cedric Wilson, and so you can run it back with a good core of the guys. But I, my my sense is Amari will not be back. Um, again, my opinion, not coming from sources inside the building or whatever, just my opinion. <laughs> I mean, source. It, to be fair, I mean, like Todd's talking about, I mean, it's – some of these contracts that you kind of mentioned it, it at some point you, you got to pay these guys and their tremendous cap hits, but you still have to be able to fill the team and have depth, which is what they were able to do this year. And they did absolutely nothing with it. And, and to your point, I think it's, if they, if they cut Amari Cooper, depending on when they do it, it's only a $6 million dead cap versus having to pay him $20 million. Right. And, and you can make, you can go through a number of guys on that roster. I don't have the numbers in front of me. And, and, and look, a, a lot of people saying, the Cowboys aren't in cap hell. They can, and they're not. Like they can move all this money around and do this, that, and blah, blah. All that's true. They have forty-two guys under contract right now. Like, so the you you get up to ninety, so you got to add guys. You got to add your draft picks. Um, you know they'll redo Dak and save a a good amount of change there. Um. Maybe they could redo Zach Martin again. I don't know if you'd really want to do that at this stage of his career. And same thing with Zeke. I don't think you'd want to do it with, with his contract because you'd be inflating the number when you'd be out of the guaranteed money uh, for him. So, you know, there's always ways to find money. It's just not the best way to go about it. And it, we, we've seen the Cowboys pay that price and it's in the past and, and hurt themselves. So that's why... I just don't. I don't think it's just the easy flip of the switch and say, "Ah, okay, this is what the Cowboys going to do." And guess what? They're going to do something they've never done since Brandon Carr, and they're going to go pay someone a high free agent contract and keep that guy. 
they're not going to do that either. Like, they're going to do the same thing that they've done. They're going to hope to sign these one, two-year deals with the J-Ron Curses and Brent Urbans and Cal- uh, Calvin Watkins. Uh, Carlos Watkins. It's <laughs> 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 um, the first time I did that all year. Uh, all the, uh, you know, those kind of guys hope they hit on them again. Like, that's how they operate, and then they're going to draft well. And that's why the, the biggest move might have been last week when they kept Will McClay from going and talking to other teams by giving him a bump to, to stay here with GM duties, if not GM titles. What did you think about that move? Did you think there's any chance uh, he was going to leave? There, there's always a chance. I don't. I, I think the timing of it now is always difficult for him. Uh, and But I think there was a fear that he and Dan Quinn have hit it off so well that maybe those two guys became a, a – um, a pairing that another team would want to come, right, a team that would want to come and, and take them away. Uh, so they were proactive with that one. And, you know, I think Dan Quinn likes it here. I'm not saying he's not going to take a job be it in Denver or any of the places that he's interviewing. But I don't know if it's, if it's as a lock or a guarantee that he just up and leaves for whatever head coaching job is available. And I don't and, – and it's not like Jerry has to – bump his money up and, and do what he did with Sean Payton, do what he did with Garrett, do what he did for, for Mike Zimmer either because he's still getting seven or eight million bucks from Atlanta. So he can be choosy. Like if you go to Denver, do you want to be in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert? Or do you want to be in this division where you're playing bad teams and who knows what the head coach's future is here? That maybe this is an operation that you could – take over in a year or so um, and, and know that you have a trust and a belief in a guy like Will McClay that he's going to find your player. Just things to think about. Again, I'm not – again, I'm not reporting anything. I'm just trying to lend another side of it because I think we're all of the belief that Dan Quinn – there's a 0% chance of Dan Quinn being back. I don't think it's zero. I, I don't know I don't know if it's 50, but I, I think there's a chance he's back. How would you rate the job Mike McCarthy did this year? Man, that's a great question, and I'm trying to formulate an answer in my head. Okay. Um, you know, when, when you factor in everything, like, you know, they, they did win the division. They did win 12 games. You can say it's a bad division in six games against bad teams, but I, I think the players were healthy. He His schedule kept them healthy, um, but – there are too many times where we we left after games and talked a couple of days after games. We're like, what was that thinking? Why did he do that? What was the thought process there? What game management? Dude, so you can get into the what does he actually do because it's Kellen's offense. It's Dan Quinn's defense. Uh, I think he does a good job of managing players and the roster and all that stuff. But what's the difference that he makes on game day? Sometimes it was good, and he doesn't get credit for that because all we do is kill him for the end of the Chargers game, halftime against Philadelphia, the end of the Niners game, you know, how, the, the play call and decision, you know, all that stuff. So I, I would say, okay. So is that a is okay a C plus B minus? What do you guys I think? think? Am I off? I think my my off? I think in my class, that's a uh, that's just a C. 
maybe a C minus because the expectation was with this roster and with his experience, they would. Uh, I think here's the deal to me: they would make a better show in a playoff game. Now maybe you lost a thriller, maybe it was you know some kind of wild back and forth game or whatever, and you lost, and you go, "Wow, what a tough break!" But it felt like they got smoked as a staff and as a team. And this is like when your season really began. You were going to be judged on how you right. went, how you did in the playoffs. And then when you throw in, and me and Matt kicked us around earlier, the back half of the season, if you think about it, kind of every big non-divisional game they had against bad teams who were going bad at the time, they lost. And then those teams continued to stink. <laughs> so, well, who did they lose I, to that was bad? Well, this is what I'm saying. Like – when they beat, when like they lost to the Raiders, the well, when they lost to the Raiders, the Raiders had lost yeah. three in a row, and then they lost two more after they beat the Cowboys. And at the time, it was like, dude, you need to win this game and, and get back in the NFC race. And then, you know, with the opportunity to have a two seed, and hell, maybe that really didn't matter the way they played against San Francisco. Um, or maybe it would have mattered because they got a different opponent. It would have been an NFC East team. They would have played team. Philly. Yeah. yeah they would have played <laughs> yeah. Philly. They would have put up 50. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so, you know, you have that game, that opportunity, and just come out and get waxed again to a team that that's the only game they won the last six weeks and everybody else made them look like a piece of shit. And, and so, and I agree, yeah, you're right. So maybe I'm being too kind to them with a C plus, C minus, and you're at a C or a C minus, but it's not like we're completely off. But I – Here's one thing I will say: like he's a he's a quarterback guru, right? That's like his bones. Far Rogers, uh, he, he coached Joe Montana in Kansas City. He made Aaron Brooks a really good player in New, in New Orleans. He drafted Alex, he was with Alex Smith his rookie year as a number one overall pick. So he's a quarterback guru, a quarterback savant. Well, say what you want about Dak after the calf injury, he was not the same guy, and. What did he do to impact Dak to make him better to get over his issues? Um, and, and I don't know what you point to. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it, was he so hands off that it was just Kellen and, and Doug Nussmeyer's show, and he just kind of let them do anything? Well, if if he did, then shame on him because you're the head coach. So you have to insert yourself into this situation and say, "God damn it, Dak, this is what you're doing. Your footwork sucks, and this is what we're going to do to get it better." And maybe he did, yep. but we didn't. Again, we didn't see any improvement on it. It's a little bit like Garrett last year, or, or last, maybe his last couple of years, to a degree where he never inserted himself into the process, seemingly to say, "If I'm going down, I'm going down my way." And you know, especially last year when Kellen's the coach, why didn't you know? Hey, get into that headset and say, "Run it, do the Parcells deal." Hey, we're running it here. I want play action here. I want the, I right. want to take a shot here. And right. maybe he did that. None of us has been told that, that he did. And I think that would have been something that we heard. So I, I think that, that Dak's development or, or Dak's, I don't say regression, because, I mean, 37 touchdowns, 10 picks, 4,000-something yards, and he missed the game. All I mean, you can't say he had a bad season. But, again, after the calf injury, he was not the same quarterback. How many passes did he have tipped at the line of scrimmage? Was that a mechanical flaw? Like so, if you're if you're the head coach and your expert expertise is the quarterback position, what did you do? How did you impact? How did you impact the game? How did you impact the game? That was one question we had. And how did you impact the quarterback when he was not playing as well as he did the first six games of the season? 
Seems like yeah. we should be reading a piece from Todd Archer right now. We can read it <laughs> from Jacques Taylor. That's that's kind of how I th- saw it. <laughs> I know this is a, a battle between journalists, but when it's not just a quarterback to me, Todd, but what was your thought on how they handled Zeke Elliott, who after the season, of course, right after the game, was like, oh, yeah, I have a partially torn PCL. It was obvious he was banged up and hurt. And then their lack of ability to find ways to more effectively perhaps incorporate Tony Pollard. I had no problem with how they used Zeke. And now you can kill me for that if you want to kill me with that. By the end of the season, his knee was, was back and he was he was better than he was in October and November. So I, I think we've turned Tony Pollard into Barry Sanders to some respect. Or maybe not Barry Sanders, but Marcus Allen. I don't know. Pick somebody. And like when you see these bursts of greatness, they're like, oh, man, let's give him the ball more. Well, when I saw him out there more, he couldn't pick up anybody in the pass protection game. You know what I'm saying? Like he was a liability there. And if you pass, if your offensive line can't protect, your running back sure as shit to be able to pick some guys up. And that was not that's not his strength at all. What did we see Zeke do? The dude threw another guy into another blitzer. He picked up two blitzers on one play against San Francisco. And I realized he didn't get fifteen million dollars to pass protect. But you can't minimize it either because of what it means for a forty million dollar quarterback. So I, I don't. I'm not considering and, and complain about Tony Pollard only had six touches. Oh my God! Why did they get him the ball more? You know, I, I'm gonna. I, I will look at at the opportunities he had on the six touches. He didn't really do much in, in that game. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just out of touch, and maybe I'm I'm defending deep. Too much on this one. I, I think that you know, CD Lamb one catch was that a product of the coaches and the plan, or is that CD having an awful game? Like I didn't even if Josh Norman. I knew Josh Norman as one of their corners. I, he didn't even start for him. I don't know the other two guys, and CD did nothing. Now should they have put CD in the slot more to make him that guy as opposed to Cedric Wilson in that game? Yeah, maybe they should have done that, but. If CD wants to be a number one, if they think he's going to be a number one, he can't have games like that where he's just invisible. And so I know I get off the, the Pollard Zeke thing, but I didn't have an issue with how they used Zeke, honestly, for a good portion of the season. I I, I mean, I, I know kill me for that if you want, but I think Zeke is a better player than Tony Pollard. Okay. Fair enough. I, I mean, step out, step out on that skinny branch. Well, I, I think he is a better player than Tony Pollard. I agree with you. H- how much of what we saw, at least on Sunday, do you attribute to San Francisco just destroying the offensive line, getting a lot of pressure with four? They didn't blitz a lot, but they got a ton of pressure, dropping seven guys where Dak might not have had an opportunity to get the ball to Ceedee Lamb. How much of this do we put on an offensive line that seemed to be very shady on Sunday? Ding, ding, ding. I think we have the winner as to what's gone, what, what happened to this offense for, for the second half of the season. The line play was poor. There was one guy who played well week one through 19? Zach Martin. Right? He, okay. Dude had two penalties and a thousand snaps. He's all pro again. You don't need to worry about that guy. Some of the other guy that played well on that offensive line. Like Aaron Smith against San Francisco, and I know he made a Pro Bowl, was poor. Leo Collins against San Francisco in that game was poor. 
Connor Williams was poor. Biotis was, nah, he's okay, I guess. Like, so, and I have a piece coming up on, on, on that later on, on the offensive line is they have to start, they have to reinvest in the position again. And they have to ask themselves the question, is Joe Philbin the right coach for that group? Because who's gotten better? Okay, Terrence Steele got better. And maybe Tyron's too old to get, quote, get better, but there may be injuries that we've seen the, the best, the, the last best of him. Um, again, I don't know. You can't move on. You can move on from him if, if you get a first-round talent um, at number 24, but I think he's probably 2022 might be his last year with the Cowboys. You move Lael Collins to left guard because Connor Williams shouldn't be back. He's a free agent. He had 12 penalties. The Cowboys were the most penalized offensive line in the league. 49. The, the 47 or 49? Let's say 49. The, char- the Raiders were second at 40. The 32nd team in penalties the last, for their offensive line, the Rams. 16. They had fewer than one penalty a game on their offensive line for the season. So is that a coaching problem? Is that a talent problem? Is that a all of the above problems? I, I think they, they have to ask themselves serious questions. Is Philbin the guy? Do they have the right players? And they have to definitely reinvest in that position. History says it's talent. You get all those penalties in part because you got to cheat because you ain't good enough. And Connor, Connor McGovern, when he was in there after they benched him, we can say it was not a wise move to put your whole left side of your offensive line with Tyron out and, and – put McGovern there against Kansas City in a hostile environment. That might not have been the, the best move to make. But Connor McGovern didn't play well enough to maintain the position, um, and, and, which is why they went back to, to Connor Williams. So, again, that's why I asked the Philbin question. And is that a move that they make this year? It, it, but it, gone are the days, and you know, when, it, when, the, when the national folks want to say, one of the best lines in football, no, not anymore. That, that those days are long gone. All righty. Todd Archer, man, we appreciate the conversation, and we'll talk to you again next week and see where we're sitting heading into the conference final games that will include a non-Dallas team again for the 26th consecutive year. Which former Cowboy will be playing for a NFC or AFC title game that you can say, see, they should have kept that guy? Cole Beasley. think. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that would have gone over real well. <laughs> awesome. All right, Todd. Anthony Hitchens. All right. Appreciate it. Charge up your phone, Jock. <laughs> yeah, buddy. All right, see you, man. All right, there he goes. That is Todd Archer, our ESPN Cowboys insider. Brought to you, of course, by BlueStarMotorGroup.com. It is interesting, man, you know, just quickly here before we wrap things up, when you kind of go back and you see what they've done, you know, remember in the 2018 draft, everybody thought, my God, Connor Williams at the 50th overall pick, everybody thought he was going to be a first round pick. He somehow was there at 50 and they ran out and snatched him right up and thought, okay, that's going to be fantastic. The Lyle Collins thing where he was supposed to be a first round pick and then all that stuff legally with him where he ended up not even getting drafted. You go out the next year in 2019 in the third round, you get another guard and Connor McGovern. So these are dudes and Collins, McGovern, and Williams that were supposed to be a first, and then one of them was a second, one of them was a third. 
that really at this point, when they're supposed to be the next wave of, of shoring up your offensive line are just guys. Yeah, I mean, it happens in the draft, bro. Everybody you draft ain't, doesn't live up to uh, what you thought they were going to be for whatever reason. Just like we didn't think six-round pitch Cedric Wilson would turn into the really good player that he is. So it right. happens. It's just disappointing when it happens at one spot. Uh, and then, you know, Collins was good, which is why he got the contract. But I don't know if it's a combination of the hips and some other things. But he just he's regressed really quickly from being a guy on his way up to a guy who appears to be on his way down. And so there you have it, another Cowboys-centric podcast, and we'll have another one coming up and have some fun with you and and get into the divisional round games. Coming up on our next podcast, we'll check in again with Ed Werder, talk to him about what he saw in the Cowboys' loss and moving forward to the divisional round because this is usually what many people consider the best round of playoff games, and Bills' Chiefs should be badass. Bengals-Titans has the potential to be really good. And then, of course, 49ers-Packers, we'll see. But Rams-Bucks, that might have a little something to offer after what we saw the Rams do to the Cardinals. But it, it, it's it's usually the best playoff weekend of football with these four games that we have with the two on Saturday and two on Sunday. We'll see how it turns out. Now, looking forward to it. This should be a blast. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. Also brought to you by Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Let him help you secure your family's future. You can give him a call at 940-453-3490. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy. Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.